0: Um, there's a show on stars.. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> there's a show on stars called "American Gods." Anybody know it? Is that? Are you all seeing it up there? Yeah? Um, that Yeah, so I don't recommend it because it's explicit on a number of fronts. Uh, but after that, um, I think the general concept of the show gets us into the conversation topic for today. Um, and that is, the topic of the show is, what if the Roman gods came to life in America, in the United States? What what would it look like for the Roman gods to come into power and to be in power uh, the way they were in ancient Greco-Roman culture? And so, um, you have various characters, like one, for instance, uh, Ares the god of war. He is uh, the factory owner and steel mill owner of a gun factory and that makes and produces ammunition and pistols. And he's even a major leader at the gun rights movement. Um, that's their imagination for what it would look like for Ares, the god of war, to have sway. And so all of the people who hold a gun are followers of Ares. They give their allegiance to Ares, the god of war. Now, I find this really fascinating because we live in this disenchanted modern land where in in many circles it's ridiculous to talk about gods and spirits and demons or whatever. And yet here we have this cable TV show entertaining the possibility. What if there are powers behind the causes we give our allegiance to. The movements that we support and participate in. What if, what if it's not just, uh, human initiative? What are, what if there are spiritual divine powers at work and at play? And that is a little bit of what we're talking about, uh, this morning. Our story this morning, if you want to, um, turn there in your phone or your tablet or your your paperback. There are little Bibles every, every uh, once in a while. Um, Exodus 32. We read it just a minute ago. I'm humming a little bit. Yeah? Thanks, Brett. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. Oh, now I can hear
1: you.
0: You couldn't hear me before. But now you can. Uh, Exodus 32. And in this story, Israel is at Mount Sinai in the desert. And um, to understand what's happening, I want to back up just a little bit um, to get into the backstory, so that we can we can feel the weight of what's coming to life in Exodus 32. So, um, backing up to Exodus 19, um, three months. So the big event that's happened is uh, Israel was enslaved by Egypt uh, and by the Egyptian pharaohs for more than 400 years. And Moses is sent as this prophet to Egypt to deliver the, the, the children of the people of Israel out of Egyptian captivity. And uh, maybe you've heard the story of how they, they uh, escape. Pharaoh lets them go and then changes his, changes his mind, sends, them, sends the armies after him, and uh, God parts the Red Sea. And Israel walks through and Israel gets on the other side and Pharaoh's armies come in after them, And then the water engulfs Pharaoh's army and Israel is able to head off into the wilderness on the way to this land that God has promised um, to the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so they're wandering out in this wilderness and Exodus 19 tells us it's three months, 90 days after they've left Egypt. And they've crossed through the Red Sea and all of that they come to this mountain uh, in the Sinai Peninsula Pen Peninsula it's in the middle of the desert. Um, and when they get to this mountain, God tells Moses, their leader, it's time to make a covenant. You're going to be my people. You're going to be my treasured possession. You're going to be my nation of priests. And so Moses, while the people are down below, Moses Moses goes up on the mountain and there's clouds that form around the mountain to show them that the glory of God, the presence of God is there with them. And he writes down um, these laws, um, including the Ten Commandments, uh, Charlton Heston style. And um, And then he comes back down Two of those commandments we find in Exodus 20, um, verse 3. Um, you shall have no other gods before me. That's a big one, right? And then the next one after that, uh, Exodus 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, Am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, this commandment uh, presents an interesting picture of God, doesn't it? Uh, God is described first as jealous. God is jealous. God is a punisher. And then also, God is a lover. God is a God of love. Now, now that is palatable to us, certainly culturally. Uh, right. But um, think about your your uh, how your non-religious friends might receive two of those descriptors about God being jealous or God being the punisher. That might, is God petty. Is God vindictive? Um, how and this is a question for us to discuss. How would you explain this portrait of God to your friends?
2: 'Cause sometimes I'm not positive, I totally understand it. As far as myself of, of God that seems to be that goes from to me one extreme to another. So if I think I struggle with that, um, I think how how do I explain that to someone else?
1: Well, yeah.
0: It's probably good we talk about that. <laughs> yeah.
2: I think that you on know, some level people understand it. Most people understand that within themselves, they're not all love, and I think people are skeptical of someone who's all alone all the time. And I think they understand that God, I think they could understand that God has strong emotions of things that he finds right, things that he finds good, and when those things are violated, that that would stir up something within him that is um, different than love. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really good point that you make. So if you, if you take it from your perspective of, of the way that you are, uh, then you could also say, oh, you know, this is the way that I am, and and then you say, and this is the way God is, too. So I, I could see if you took it in that perspective, people couldn't relate to that. Yeah. Especially if they're a good friend or something, because they seen different sides of you or whatever. Mm-hmm. I will say I've heard people relate negatively to that. They're like, but supposed to be God, so why would God be like me? So mm-hmm. <coughs> if God's a, like a perfect being, being? Yeah. gonna worship myself, I'm not gonna worship any other person while I worship some being that's
0: exactly like me. Yeah, does God stop being love or loving right. to be I mean from from our vantage point it seems like, man, how's it how can you be loving if you're also jealous and punishing? Those how do those things fit together, right? Thing. Just like a parent. You want to say more about that?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, just, I, I think like, it's unconditional love that your parents give you, that like, they still have to punish you when you do things wrong and you won't learn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, And that they're jealous. Parents never want to hear that, oh, I love this person more than I love you. Mm-hmm. So you still can be jealous and loving and punish all for the good of that person. Yeah,
0: that, that, that could come out of a place of love. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, right on. Is there another thought over here?
2: I was going to yeah. uh, mention parenting as well, I mm. think from that perspective, and again, jealous when we think of it relationally in terms of, like, um, you know, I'm jealous for your affections uh, because I want it all for myself. It, it, it makes less sense for, for us to feel that way in a kind of selfish way. But if God, from the perspective of God, he says, if we people are created to find him, to, to find the, their fulfillment in him, then for, for him to allow people to run after other things that are less than or, or bad, then his just je- Like, if he's not upset that they're chasing after these things, it's like, I don't care if my kids eat junk all day, you know? like That's the that's perspective, perspective I see. So it's less mm-hmm. of a jealous... It's not, it is relational, but it's also for their, their good
0: it's for the benefit that yeah that's good what what if what if this is not petty immature jealousy that we would think about that would you know a jealous boyfriend as it were um, what if this is passionate commitment to relationship and to connection um, and and what if punishment is discipline like a child what if what if I mean, what kind of God would God be if God was pushed over or bowled over by all the evil in the world? Right. Do we want a God that doesn't stand up to things that are wrong or unjust? No, of course not. We want some sense of justice in the world. And so the punishing God, the disciplining God is the one that cleans that stuff up. Right. Um, But I think those those descriptors, you know, they can kind of. Cause an immediate, whoa, what's that? You know, that, they rub us. They rub our cultural sensibilities, uh, a little bit. Um, move on to Exodus 24. Uh, Moses, you know, he's gotten the Ten Commandments, other laws. He's come back down, and we get back into covenant mode. And the elders of Israel, they sacrifice animals. They they have this big to-do about making a covenant with God to be His people. Uh, they're going to give their allegiance to Him. Uh, they're going to follow the book of the law that God gave to Moses just previous. And everybody says, everybody says together, You are our God. You delivered us from Egypt. We will obey. We'll be faithful to you. Like they're pledging their commitment to God. And the, the elders are able to approach this mountain where God is. And their faces don't melt off when they see God. They see the very throat of God. And it looks like this brilliant, amazing thing. And it says that, you know, God, God, let them do that. Usually the glory of God would, you know, melt our faces off. But God allows them to approach and see him in his splendor again because he wants the connection. He wants to be connected to the people of Israel. And so again, these huge clouds form on top of Mount Sinai, and God's glory, it said, looked like a great fire was burning in the midst of the clouds. Can you picture that in your mind? This this massive. Uh, I'm trying to remember where we were driving. and There's like a big, you know, like in West Texas, there are these massive like at the end. It's like a it's like a release valve for oil and gas, where there's just these random. <laughs> bursts of fire up into the air, you know, this big, tall, 15 and 20 feet pipes. And they just they let off the overflow and you just see this massive flame in the middle of the air. And you're like, what? oh, yeah, that's connected to something. You know, it's not just a disembodied, disembodied, like consuming fire in the middle of the air. Well, imagine that no pipes, no shenanigans there. There's just this amazing, brilliant, huge fire in the middle of the sky. In the middle of this massive cloud. And um, I might think if I saw that, well, there's there might be something supernatural going on up there. Uh, Yeah. And so God invites Moses to go up and meet with him in the midst of this. And this time Moses is gone for weeks. Not one week, not two weeks, not three, not four, not five. (laughs) No, more than six weeks. Yeah, that's a long time. And so imagine about the sixth week, maybe we get into Exodus 32. That's almost 40 days. We've been hanging out, staring at this, this flame in the sky on the top of the mountain, wondering what in the heaven is going on and how long are, are we just supposed to wait around here? What's going on? the Israelites get tired of waiting and they say to themselves, well, Moses was so long in coming. I mean, what if what if that fire thing ate him up? What if it killed him? I mean, that could happen. It's fire. It's God. Right. What if Moses got his face melted off? We're screwed. We got to figure something out here. And so they say, uh, Aaron, make us some gods. Make us make us some gods that can go before us. Uh, presumably, that great cloud and fire is still there on the mountain, mind you. But never mind that. We need some gods down here. That's up in that's up in the mountain. So, what does Aaron do? You know, the strong leader he was. He collects everybody's gold jewelry, um, and later he tells Moses, "I just took all their gold, and 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 pfft, it turned into a calf. It was amazing. It turned into this figure, and people started to worship. I don't know. It was crazy." I had nothing to do with it. I to, Aaron was a craftsman. He made the calves. You scaredy cat. Yeah, I love that it says he he's actually with a tool. Yeah. He says
1: it just came
0: out. I don't know what happened.
1: My hands were working, and it was like a marionette. It was the craziest thing.
0: But you know, Aaron, he's scared. For his, I'm sure he's scared because he's got this mob of. Of pet terrified people saying, "Make us, some, make us a God." Aaron, well, well I got to do what the people say. You know, I, I, maybe Moses is dead. Who knows? And then the calf comes out. Israel says, "Here is our God. Here is our God, right in front of us. We can see this God. This God rescued us from Egypt." And so they throw a party, and they revel, and they celebrate. What's going on with Israel that they would do this after Exodus 24, after Exodus 20 and 19, right on the heels of like seeing the glory of God and saying, we will obey, we will be faithful to the covenant. We will obey your commands. Maybe it's that they were more more than just tired of waiting. I I think they really were probably getting afraid. They were they were terrified. Um, and feeling out of control uh, Namely um, are, are we stuck out here In the middle of nowhere By ourselves And, and, and if somebody comes upon us uh, Who's going to protect us uh, If we encounter some unfriendlies What God or being or power Do we have in our corner uh, Are we without Protection, we need to secure ourselves out here. We're vulnerable. And the only way that they do to do that was to call on a power greater than themselves. And, you know, maybe maybe they're even afraid of that flame of fire that's up on the mountain thinking, well, if it if it if it consume Moses, maybe it's going to consume us, too. And we gave us allegiance, our our, our allegiance to us. But maybe this is just a, a weird, evil trick and we're about to be consumed too who knows the stories they're telling each other but this is what the gods and the idols were ultimately all about securing one's future and so gods of fertility helps you have babies that would grow up and take care of you when you got old worked in your field it was your retirement plan and so you worship the gods of fertility and the gods of Agriculture. The gods of rain and sun would make sure that it rained and that the crops would grow so you would have food to feed your family and trade and barter with everybody. Um, you would have your own security. Gods of war went with you into battle and helped you overcome your enemies. They helped you when you were vulnerable so you wouldn't be wiped out. Right. Gods were all about securing your future. Getting a hold of. The good life in whatever form or fashion it is. Who are we going to trust? And who are we going to trust to secure our future? Whoever or whatever we trust is what we worship. Trust equals worship. Um, so making calves out of gold to represent um, a God probably seems silly to most of us today. Um, Worshiping something that we can make with our own hands. You know, that seems primitive, um, nonsensical, probably to a lot of us. We would never. I mean, maybe you guys have got some idols hiding in your closets. I don't know about like some little figurines or something. Um, But for the most part, that's kind of uh, that. That kind of thing doesn't happen. But what about trusting in something to secure our preferred future? Hmm. What about going after something to ensure us the good life we really want and feel like we deserve? Um, Does that happen? Maybe just a little bit. Question for discussion. Uh, What idols do you see across the American landscape? What objects do you see people trusting in to secure their preferred future or vision of the good life?
1: Homes, cars.
0: Say what? Homes, cars. Homes, cars. Yes. Good old capitalism. Mm-hmm. One of my profs. Retirement funds. Retirement funds. Yes. Mm-hmm. The the great God 401 to the K. <laughs> 403 to the B.
1: Whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Other other gods you see? Other idols you see across the American landscape? Safety. Safety. Mm. Yeah, security. For my kids. For myself. For my community. Um, Yeah.
1: Beauty, Beauty, entertainment. Yeah. Career.
0: God of image. Yeah, the... Beauty outward, the appearance, the reputation, even social capital. Yeah. Social media is wrapped up all in image management. Yeah. Yeah. There's some spiritual powers in that.
2: Distraction.
0: Ooh, come on now.
2: <laughs> Tell us more, Megan. Um, just, you know, I mean, everybody's looking on their. we we'll distract ourselves oh, wow. from everything
0: that's really important. Wow. Yeah, that's a good one. So think about distraction, the God of distraction. Wow. That's great.
1: Okay. Slash, not great, and kind of depressing. I was
2: going to say, connected to the idea of safety and security, I mean, I think you can see strong ways in which people treat themselves as God. Because the in which people are in our country self-select, uh, find our echo chambers, find as much as we can find that looks like us to mm-hmm. surround ourselves with. Mm-hmm. Right? So I want my world to now look like me. Yeah. It's it's a sense of narcissism because I know me, but I don't know anything that's not me. Mm-hmm. So let's keep stuff that's like me around me, and then I can feel safe and secure in that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That can definitely happen. Did I see some somebody over here? That's my way of fishing. So, oh, yeah, John. Um, amusing ourselves to death. Mm-hmm. With the distraction, uh, entertainment, amusing ourselves to death, which is not the with the thing here. And what he's saying is tribalist. You know, Republicans, were all, we're right, and they're wrong, and the left is full of food, and they say, we're full of food, and uh-huh. where is, I mean, I, 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 I I heard an interview of a woman, the senator that that, that had been in many, many terms. When she came in, she remained as an independent moderate. And when she first came in there's fifteen different people. It, at the end of the day, they said the committees for these fifteen people sorted out. By the time she left there's only three left, three moderates left. The so the Congress had, had had just gone way to the extreme. Mm-hmm. So and people think that I am a liberal. You know, and conservatives are wrong. Uh-huh. So, so I might trust my liberal or my conservative uh-huh. worldview,
0: or my yeah ideologies can get set up as gods. The the ideology of the political left or the political light or right, or even the ideology of patriotism and right. the flag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And have we not seen that lifted high? In more ways than one, in the, in the last few weeks, um, the the God of State that if I give my allegiance to this nation, then this nation will will return will come good and promise me um, the good life of safety of security um, if I will give my allegiance. I pledge my allegiance to the flag. That is not a A worship-neutral saying. Hate to say it. it, There's some major tension in being citizens of the kingdom of God and putting... I'm just going to say it. Putting our hands on our hearts and saying, I pledge allegiance to anything other than the living God. Like, that is sketchy territory. Yeah? Um, Any number of things. Family, sex. uh, We've talked about... Security, war, arms, patriotism, loyalty. I mean, really, the, the holy trinity of modernity is the self, the state and capitalism. Those are our big gods. Um, all of it. All of the things that we've been describing emerge from that holy trinity of self and state and capitalism. Um, but let me name a couple. And I think they are related to self um, in some ways. But let me let me. Name a couple that might hit closer to home for me and for storyline. Uh, what about community? Uh, community can become an idol that we trust for our own well-being. How do we know that it's something we're giving allegiance to? Well, what if we're, if we're terrified at the thought of our community of relationships changing or shifting? Or being different or jeopardized somehow. There, there might be a spiritual power at play there to pay attention to. Um, what about mission? Can mission become an idol to us? Doing good work to help people in the world, to connect people to Jesus, to address injustice. Mission can become an idol that we trust if we use it to take the problems of the world into our own hands with some sort of Messiah complex rather than to trust God, who is the primary missionary, and to see our roles as finding what he's doing in the world and joining him there. How do we know if this is a God for us? Well, maybe if we get devastated. When we don't have the kind of impact that we hope to have, when we're not able to manage the outcomes the way we would like to manage them, when we're not able to let go of that, if people don't respond the way we want to, if we're not able to control things, that might be a power rearing its head that we're giving allegiance to rather than to the living God. Now, let me get up close and personal um, And you don't have to answer this question out loud. Um, what What are your idols? What are the gods that you're giving allegiance to? When you don't get what you want, what do you turn to? What are you trusting to secure your future or to give you the good life other than the living God? I just want you to sit with that. That's a heavy question. That's really the, that's the, um, that's the central question of this message today. Uh, Exodus 32, part two. To return to the story. As God and Moses are talking, they're up there. The people are down there. They're waiting almost 40 days. They made this calf. And God says to Moses, uh, So you don't know this, but down below, uh, the people are misbehaving. They've just said they'll give me their loyalty. And uh, I can see that they're worshiping. They're being unfaithful. They're being stubborn. They've been corrupted. They're worshiping other gods. So, Moses, would you just leave me alone for a little while and let me rage? And I'm just going to wipe them out. I mean, it hasn't even been 40 days. And they are worshiping other gods. I mean, have we not been through the Red Sea together? What's going, God's getting frustrated? Like you guys have got the attention spans of a net. Let's just let's just smash you up against the wall a little bit and be done with it. And Moses says, "Hold on, God. It's this real interesting picture, right? It's like a like a big boss." You know, and, and one of his helpers is like, you know and he's he's mad, he's ready to go out and do some damage, and you know the it, one of his helpers is like now let's let's think about
1: this <laughs>
0: you know let let's take a minute, you know, remember how far we've come, and um remember Abraham and Isaac and Jacob I mean you've got a lot of history with these people. It's not just the last forty days, like you've got promises in the making, you know you need to be faithful to yourself and Not to wipe them out would be faithful to yourself. So please don't wipe them out. And I mean, what? Why did you? I mean, if word gets out about this, God, that you brought him out here in the middle of the wilderness just to wipe them out. That that is not good PR. So please, God, have mercy. It's this really interesting kind of storytelling tactic in Exodus 32. And God relents. And he 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 doesn't destroy them. Um, At the heart of things, as wonky as that constructed story is maybe to us about the big boss and the little helper kind of, you know, interceding and pleading down. um, The Bible storytellers are trying to explain how God did not, in fact, wipe out Israel. That God and his compassion and love really do have the last word. And here is the radically good news. God's compassion had the last word, even when Israel deserved to be abandoned, even when Israel had been unfaithful. So hear the good news, church, just as Moses was an intercessor before God for Israel, so Christ is an intercessor before God for us, the church. The, the Lord has compassion and love for us in the midst of our divided loyalties. And all of us are idolaters on some level. And the Lord has compassion and grace for us in the midst of those divided loyalties. He has not abandoned us. And in Christ, the grace of God is greater than our idolatry.
1: Amen.
0: Can you receive that? Can you enter in to the reality that that creates for us? Yeah. Amen. So let us turn from our idols. Let us turn from those things we trust to secure our future and to give us the good life. And let us destroy any semblance of them, lest they rear their heads again. And let us turn to the living God and put our trust in Him. Amen. Uh, We're going to do something a little bit different in the next uh, seven minutes or so. Um, uh, We're we're going to make some space for some spontaneity. Ooh, ooh. Um, Some of you are like, what? (laughs) And some of you are like, yay! Some of you are like, I gotta go. Uh, we're, we're going to experiment for the next, I don't know, however many months um, until it's confirmed it was a good brainstorm or not um, with what uh, we're, we're going to just call it open mic prayer. Um, and so for the next, I don't know, seven minutes or however long, if you have a prayer on your heart, uh, maybe it's connected to what we've been talking about. It doesn't have to be. Maybe it's somebody in your life that you want to pray about. Maybe it's something for our community that you want to pray about. The floor is yours. Um, Lead us in prayer. And if we are here in silence um, for seven minutes, that's okay, too. Uh, But the idea, the hope, is that we make some space and room to let bubble up whatever needs to bubble up from the Spirit in the life of our community. So we just we're gonna make some space and see what happens. If you have a prayer that you want to lead us in for someone or something, um, please do that. Okay.